Right. This will be the shortest sermon I've ever given at Coastline. It's 11.04. We're going to take communion. So um, let's pray really fast and we'll dive in. Lord, thanks for a chance to sit together. I love that we can be together like this. It's so cool that we're not, uh, it's not, this is not some religious performative thing, but we can come before our king who died for us and rose again, who's seated in heaven, but also among us. You said that if we gather two or three in your name, that you're in the middle of us. And so thanks for setting up this day that we could uh, come together as a family around part of our family that's seeking to follow you, that's lifting up this need. I love what Josh said, Lord, we want to serve a God of the miraculous. We don't want to just have the Elks Club. We're here to see the powerful God, the God of resurrection do great things and to be able to lift up our family who's, you said when one member hurts, we all hurt with him or her. And so to come along with Elijah together and pray, it's so good. Thank you for our family that you've put us into. We're here by your doing Jesus. And now we want to hear briefly from your word in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus uh, chapter 10. Leviticus. Uh, I think they're doing the Bible rap back in the first through fifth grade room today. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, wiki, wiki. Uh, which is a little plug, by the way. I am so sad for my fourth and fifth graders. It's great to see you here in church with me. But we had a full staff. And so we had class for fourth and fifth. And then for really good reasons, I lost all of my first through third teachers. Um, and so that means my fourth and fifth graders have to sit in here with us, which, you know, it's the worst thing. But I'm just telling you, fourth and fifth class is way more fun than big people church. So if you would just be praying, I'm not, I don't ever want to guilt anyone either, but if you just want to pray that the Lord would raise back up teachers for those classes, I, I really feel badly for them. There were some really great things happening and um, obviously the Lord's in control. But anyway, pray for our kids. Leviticus chapter 10. This is a really bummer <laughs> section, I think, but it should turn good by the end. We'll see how we do. Okay, it's 1106. You ready? We're going to only read two verses, then I'll give you the background. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. Your Bible probably has strange fire, strange fire, different from what he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord. What a great, exciting passage we have. What's going on? Okay, so the backstory here is that this is the beginning of uh, the Old Testament system of worship that God had given through Moses. So some of you know the story. You watch Prince of Egypt. They leave Egypt, right? They come out. They go through the wilderness. They come to Mount Sinai. God appears there and says, hey, I want to make a covenant with you. you. I'll be your God and you can be my people. And they're like, yeah, we totally want to do that. And so Moses goes up and brings down the Ten Commandments. I'm really fast forwarding the story, right? And he lays out for them, I want to dwell among you. This is so important to know that God, sometimes people think Old Testament God, he's just angry. You know, and you read this passage and you're like, ah, I knew it. He was an angry God back then. But Jesus is so nice. But God always wanted to be with his people. We were created from the beginning, Adam and Eve, to have a relationship with God. And that is broken because of sin. Sin came into the world and broke that whole relationship. And the Bible is God's story of recovering and restoring that broken relationship. And so he says, I can dwell among you. Here's how we'll do this. I'm going to have you build this thing they call the tabernacle. And it really wasn't that big. It was just a tent that they could carry with them when they moved around. It was like 45 feet by 15 feet, the actual tent. Some of you probably have Coleman tents that are that big if you have a big family and you go camping. So it's not that big of a tent. And the courtyard around it was like 
150 feet by 75 feet, also not very big. Like, you know, it's bigger than a basketball court, but it's not a lot larger, the courtyard around it, than this room. And all the people could gather there to worship somehow outside. I don't know. It's interesting to think that through. But anyway, um, there were rules. God's presence, when they set this up the right way, would dwell over this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was this little box that was covered in gold, and inside of it were the tabernacle or the tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments on them, a little thing of manna, and later on Aaron's staff that budded. And then on top was this gold seat called the atonement cover or the mercy seat. And right above that, between these two cherubim, was something of God's, the Hebrew word Shekinah, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, Shekinah glory, something of God's presence would be there in the middle of them, in this tent. And above that, when they were moving around, remember there's this pillar of fire and cloud by day, you know? So it's really exciting. And so he says, you guys are gonna be able to come and approach me. And here's how you'll do it. There's gonna be some sacrifices involved. So you've got to set up the tabernacle the right way. You're going to have to do these sacrifices the right way and prepare certain people to be the priests, the ones that can represent you to me because you just can't come close to me. In fact, he says in Exodus 33, no man can see me and live. And I think this is the first point I want to make is we forget that God is holy. He's a holy God. Now that sounds like a Bible word you should interpret. I mean, God is so pure and righteous and good that his presence can't abide anything that doesn't reach that level. Now, uh, so that's not him being picky. It's just he literally can't abide it. His, he'll destroy those things with his, with his goodness. He says, no man can see me and live. And the reason is because we are not good. And if you are wondering about that, the Bible is really clear that everybody sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you've raised a toddler, you know this is true. The children are born knowing how to sin. They don't come out. They come out cute, but they know what to do early on. Here's a, this is a dumb example, but I was trying to think of some analogies. We are talking to one of our guys who's about to be a dad, and men were giving him advice for fathers. And they were talking about the putrid smell that can come from a diaper. And how sometimes, you know, you love your child, but you just can't come near to them because you're so holy and what's come out of them is so unholy. That doesn't, maybe that's, that's not on the level, but that's that idea. It's not that God doesn't want to be with us, but, but apart from him, the Bible says that there's really some putrid things about us that prevent us from being with him. And so God created this system to say, here's a way that I can dwell among you. You've got to protect my holiness. We're going to need sacrifices that cover your sin. They don't wash it away, but they cover it. And there'll be people that can represent you in a whole process. And there's only one way you can do it. You've got to follow these procedures or or someone's going to die. And so that brings us to where we're at today. Nadab and Abihu are two of the four sons of Aaron, the priests. They'd gone through this whole week-long process of being washed and anointed and offering sacrifices and having blood applied to their ear and their thumb and their right big toe to be prepared to be priests. They were the right guys at the right time, prepared in the right way. And man, right before this, when they finish, Aaron goes in to the presence of the Lord, finishes these sacrifices, comes out, and look at verse 9, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 22. After that, so this whole week has gone by, they've offered the sacrifices. Aaron raised his hands towards the people. He's come out and blessed them. This is probably that blessing from Numbers 6, or you've heard the song they've made of it. Now the Lord bless you and keep you, right? You know the song? And make his face shine upon you. So he blesses the people. And after presenting the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. That was this place of sacrifice out in the court that everybody could see. And Moses and Aaron went near the tabernacle. When they came back out, they blessed the people again. And the glory 
of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And then when the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell down on the ground in their worshiping. That is a service, right? You show up to the tabernacle. It's the first time anybody's done this. There's some guys butchering cattle, you know, and they're burning the stuff up here and they come out and they bless you and it's really cool. And then all of a sudden that glory cloud up above the tabernacle opens up and you're like, oh, whoa. And then boosh, out from the presence of God comes this fire and the little smoky thing that you've got going on over here, poof, up in fire and is like, whoa. And they fall down and they're worshiping the Lord. That's, that's a worship service. That's the, what Josh said, man, we want to see our God do great things. And they did so far, so good. But then at that moment, these two guys, these two sons of Aaron stand up and they grab these incense burners. This was something priests could do, grabbed an incense burner. And it says that they go before the Lord and they offer this strange fire, which God had not commanded them. Those are the two phrases that are important. They offer strange fire, which God had not commanded them. And because of that, that fire just a moment ago that was a blessing and a, an, an opportunity for worship killed them. Aaron, on this day when he would have been so proud, my four boys are serving the Lord with me. Look at them. They've been anointed. Here we are. Watch as two of them die on the first day of service in the tabernacle. Man, we'll cut some things here that we can't say, but I want to get down to this. Number one, God is holy. And we really do forget this. We need to remember that the God that we serve is a God who can't abide the presence of evil. And that should be a weighty thing for us. It really was for people all the way through the Old Testament. You'll see folks, Gideon, you know, when he realizes he's seen the angel of the Lord, he's like, I'm gonna die. I've seen God face to face. Samson's parents, I'm gonna die. You know, (laughs) his wife's like, if God wanted to kill us, I don't think he would have showed up, honey. So maybe not. But people are scared. They're, They're worried when they see the presence of God. They think, this could kill me. And we've really lost that sense. We think of God as sort of like a really nice old man. Oh, it's a bad thing that you told that lie. That's too bad. But go on, Sonny. It's fine. And that's not, that's not who God is. Not who the Bible portrays him to be. And it seems like Nadab and Abihu didn't have sight of this either. And they thought, we can just go into God's presence in, in, in the way that we want. We can come to God on our terms in the way that we want. Maybe they had good intentions. It's hard to say. What, what's going on with Nadab and Abihu? There have been many uh, theories put forth. We have some clues from the Bible. Um, but here's some speculative ideas. Number one, right after this happens, God tells Aaron, when you come to serve me, don't drink. Don't drink. So some have speculated that Nadab and Abihu maybe had a few before they, they went into, before the presence of the Lord. And so they were you know, you got these two guys going up, you're worshiping and here are these two guys walking into church like, yeah, let's go offer some wins and stuff. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of off, right? So maybe that was it. Um, it could be that they were distracting people from the worship of God, right? When the fire of God has fallen and the people are worshiping God, maybe just let that be. Reminds me of Peter, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is glorified and they're looking at him and he says he doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, I've got some ideas. How about we build some stuff? And it says the cloud just comes and descends around them and God says to him from the cloud, this is my son, listen to him. Like Peter, would you please just shut up? (laughs) Jesus is glorified. You don't need to do anything right now. This is the goal. And maybe sometimes we do that when God is moving and we want to, you know, kind of get on under the action and we're like, hey, I've got an idea. Like, dude, just let the Lord be glorified. 
That could be possible. They're distracting people. It was not at the prescribed time. So they were deciding on their own to go and do this, right? So that could have been a part of it. Um, in chapter 16, even though it's six chapters later, it's really right up against 10 in terms of the timeline. The Lord tells Aaron how you come before me, the day of atonement. Only one man could do that, the high priest. And only one day of the year on the 10th day of the seventh month could anyone do that. And he could only come when a certain ritual had been completed, a certain set of sacrifices. There was just no way you could just wander in. And it says that when it says that they died in the presence of the Lord, your Bible might have before the Lord, there's an implication that not only were they doing something on their own and at their own behest and in front of people, maybe distracting them, but that they were trying to go all the way. And they're like, dude, if if God's glory is in there, we're going. And maybe they tried to go in. In that tabernacle, there'd be a, a veil that you couldn't go behind where that glory, I told you, was shining. And they may have tried to go in there and died right there. They couldn't do it. And I wonder what people thought when they watched this go down. You go from a, imagine you're in the worship service right now. Let's say the worship team's playing and the Lord's spirit is just here and you're just like, oh, Lord, you're so great. And then let's say, uh, we'll pick on it. Let's say Stephen and I jump in and we're like, hey guys, how's it going? Pastor Stephen and Michael. And, and just like, what are you doing? And the Lord just like strikes us dead. Two dudes just drop, boom, boom. What does that do for the rest of your worship service? How do you even handle that? What does Pastor Chris do? Uh, could some people come and please carry Michael and Stephen's bodies out of the sanctuary? And let's pray because the Lord is holy. And that's what happens. They wind up sending some guys in to carry these dead bodies of these men that they just spent all this time preparing because they had failed in their service to the Lord. It would have made people fear God. It would have made sure nobody else was gonna make a bum rush for the Holy of Holies, right? Nobody else wanted to do it. Lord wanted to protect them. You know, they did die, but it protected the congregation. So I'm gonna really fast forward here for, to, to this that I wanna get to though. The thing that I think is most significant in my mind is this. Two other clues. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12. And Leviticus chapter six, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want. 12 is worth turning to, I suppose. But Leviticus six, eight through 13, God says this. He says, listen, the fire that's gonna be on my altar, I never want it to go out. Your job as priest is always keep that fire burning. Don't ever let it go out. And then in chapter 16, verse 12, he says, when you come with incense, when you come before me, the incense always has to come with coals that you've got from the altar. That's it. So in order to come before God, like I say, you had to come in the way he described, he prescribed. You couldn't just come any way you wanted. Didn't matter if you had good intentions, if you were a priest, whatever. You had to come in the one way that God had made for you to come. And that one way was for you to come based on this sacrifice that had been offered, that God had ignited. And you could take coals from that and you could put it on your censer. And when is your time, then you could walk in and they would take this incense, which by the way, often in the Bible speaks of prayer, and they would put it on top of those coals and then there'd be this cloud of incense. Any of you that are into incense know how this works, right? And so it would be this smell and they would, the high priest on that day of atonement could go behind the veil and the idea was this cloud would help to prevent you from seeing the Shekinah in that way. Listen, the, the Jews were so serious about this that even on that day of atonement, the tradition is they would tie a rope to the ankle of the priest who had to go because if he didn't make it, they needed to be able to yard his body out of there really big deal so they could go but they had to go with their ministry starting from the place of sacrifice that god had blessed their fire for their service the coals coming from that and then they could go 
into the presence of the Lord. And my suspicion, and you can throw this out if you want, it's fine. I think that's the most likely explanation. That their fire was strange, not because it was like, bro, you got some strange fire there, that's kind of weird. But it was strange because it was different than what God had commanded. The fire, maybe they got out their little zippos and they're like, I don't know, dude, I want to get in there. You fire it out. And they start trucking in there, get blasted by the Lord. The fire didn't come, the coals didn't come from off that altar and ignite their service and allow them to offer something to God that would have been acceptable. And I think that this is a good word for people today, for us, in two ways. Number one, it's a good reminder to me that God is holy and no one can come before him because of our sin unless we come in the one way that he provides for us. And now we live in a different era, right? We don't deal with a tabernacle anymore. You don't come to church, it's not the same as that. You know, none of us are priests. I've had zero blood applied to my right ear or thumb or foot. Thank you. But we come in a whole different way. We come in one way though, and it's a way that's been made for us by Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the last sacrifice, the final sacrifice, that he's the great high priest. And we'll look at it in a moment. He's made a new way for us to come, a new and living way or life-giving way, Hebrews 10 says. There's a new way to come, but there's still only one way. And Jesus said, no man can come to the Father except by me. And I think in our world today, there's a lot of people still thinking, man, if I go through the right rituals, if I do all this stuff, if I've got a good heart, then God will accept me the way that I am. He won't. I'm not saying that to be mean, but you'll get burned by those ideas. It can cost you your life, no matter how hard you try or how sincere you are, if you don't come based on the sacrifice that God has provided. Jesus, if he's not your way, then friend, you're trusting in something that could kill you. In fact, in the end, we know that the final end for those who reject God is a place that was never intended or made for people. It's the lake of fire, a place of burning, separated from his presence forever because people have rejected the way that God made. The way that Jesus, he almost say, you'll go to hell over my dead body. You've got to step over the sacrifice of Jesus. You've got to bypass the altar the way these guys did to wind up dying in that way. But if you want to come, there's a way. His name is Jesus. The way this hits for me, though, I'm really busting here, is this. Now, I'm a Christian, and I do believe that Jesus died for me. And if you asked me any of those theological questions, I would give you orthodox answers to them, and I would be sincere. But I think that sometimes for me, I'm bypassing the altar in my service to him, too. You can get busy doing things, Right? get busy. I've got to teach a kid's ministry class. I've got to prepare a sermon. I've got to run over here. I've got to take care of my kids. I'm changing the diapers, whatever your list of things, all good things. But man, if those things are not being fueled, if my service for the Lord isn't coming from that place, from the altar, I don't know if it isn't strange fire sometimes. If it's not really acceptable to the Lord, if I'm sort of like Cain offering my best fruit that I've cooked up, but it's not really something that's acceptable to him. And I think, if you'll allow the bad pastor joke, that that's one of the reasons that we burn out. No? No groans for that one? Come on, that's a, that's a solid dad joke on Father's Day. Thank you, Jaron. Burn out because fire, they burn. No? Yeah. Have you watched people? Maybe you've seen this in your life where you've seen someone where they started, they were excited in serving Christ. And after a while, they're still involved in those things. But it's like the fire's kind of gone out of it for them. And they're just sort of grinding away. And there's just it's just religion. It's not really 
It's not really lit up by, animated by, it seems like by the Lord anymore. Have you experienced that in your own life? I think I have. So my prayer has been for the last week or two, and I have a home group pray for me, is Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's not really a feeling thing. I mean, that can be part of it. But I want my service to the Lord to come from that place that's fired up by what Jesus has done for me, that, that sacrifice. I'm going back to look and say, Jesus, you died for me. You opened this new and living way and my sins are gone and I'm going to heaven and you're gonna finish the work you started me and whatever happens politically or legally or financially or health-wise, I'm secure in you. And Lord, you can do whatever you want with me. Isn't that the way the Bible actually describes how we're supposed to serve? Think of Romans 12. What's Paul's argument by the time you get to Romans 12? He says, my brother and I urge you by the mercies of God or in view of what God has done for you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and pleasing to him. That's our spiritual service of worship. His argument isn't, hey guys, get out there, try harder, do better. He says, look, in view of all that God's done for you, which he's been covering for the previous 11 chapters, when you look at all of this that he's done, man, out of a response to that, offer yourself to him. I can think of somebody who I won't name right now, but in, in, our, in our church who's gone through some things and experienced God's mercy. And you can see the result of their, their uh, grateful response to him in the way that they worship, in the way that they talk. It just infuses what they're doing. It's a response to the goodness of God. Have you lost a gratitude for what he's done? I don't mean that you wouldn't say you're thankful that Jesus died. Of course, you're in church. You have to say that. But are you grateful? I mean, does it, does it move you anymore? And if it doesn't, if there's not any, if you're like, man, I'm doing these things, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm giving my money, I'm helping these people over here because I know I have to, I know it's what God wants. I'm not sure that that's really an acceptable thing. I think that might be strange fire. We just heard this in that, that same meeting we had for the guy who's gonna be a dad, the, the man giving the devotion said, um, God loves a cheerful giver. And I always think of that in terms of finances because that's the context of the passage. But I think it might go beyond that. God wants us to be grateful that we're offering ourselves to him, Lord, out of, out of gratitude for what he's done. God loves a cheerful giver. So I want you to be like, all right, Lord, fine. You're such a tough God. I guess I'll do this for you. Is that, is that what you want from your kids? All right, I'll clean my room. I guess is what you want. I mean, some days maybe you'd settle for that. You're like, if the room got clean, I don't care what the motive is. But I mean, what, what are you aiming for? You'd like it to be, hey, I want to do this. I'm part of the family. I know this is, I'm grateful to be part of our family. And it's, my, you know, that would be the ideal. I guess I'm not a dad. And you're like, that never happens. Someday, maybe. I don't know. I just, I want to come back to this idea. Guys, where is your fire coming from today? What is motivating you? Is it the work of Christ and what he's done for you? And if it isn't, then I would just say it may not be acceptable. And more than that, you're ripping yourself off. You're ripping yourself off. Who wants the dour, grinding religious life? Does anybody, anybody else like, that is what I want. Just duty and boredom and repetition. No, we want to be people, like Josh said, that are moved by a God who did a miracle. He left heaven and became a man and walked among us and healed the sick and raised the dead. And then he died on the cross and paid for our sins and he's alive and he's given us new life and we're going to heaven and that's the God we serve. Yes, that's what we want to be, right? Easy to say, hard to do. How do we do it? Peter says, he goes through a list about sanctification in Second Peter chapter one. 
Peter, Stephen taught it a while back. Those who forget these things, or excuse me, those who fail to develop in this way are blind or short-sighted, having forgotten their purification from their former sins. Now, I don't think he means they've forgotten it as a fact, but maybe they've just gotten away from that. How do you, what do you do when you've forgotten something? You remember. You remember. How do we remember? I'll give you a couple quick things and we gotta be done. Number one, tell yourself, rehearse your story with the Lord. Lord, so for me, and I have, you know, I became a Christian when I was a kid and I have a story of him bringing me back when I was older and I can remember like, Lord, I was living this lukewarm Christian life. I was depressed. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't like who I was. And you met me that night when I prayed to you and you changed my life and you brought me to here. God, thank you. I'm so grateful that you did that for me. Thank you for not leaving me the way that I was. Thank you for changing the way that I talk and treat people and run, run down that list. It'll be really hard not to be grateful. Remember that. And maybe take some time to do that today. If you're in that spot, if you feel like the fire has gone out for you, you haven't kept it kindled or you're drawing your fire from somewhere else, man, go and remember what Jesus has done for you. And then what we'll do today, the reason we're taking communion is uh, Jesus said when he prescribed this ritual, when he took Passover and changed it and said something, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in what? Remembrance of me. Jesus gave us something very practical to bring us back to the altar over and over again for us to remember that there is a God who was broken for us. He suffered physically so we would never have to. And he opened a new and living way so that, listen, we can do what these priests couldn't do. Go right into the presence of God. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 10 and then we're done. So dear brothers and sisters, verse 19, we can boldly enter heaven's holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Now he's writing to Jewish believers at this point who would have been like, what? You can't just go into that holy place. We know the story of Nadab and Abihu and the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, uh, says, yes, you can because of Jesus. You and I have a privilege and a place because of that, that new way that Christ has opened that the priest didn't have. You can go right into the presence of the Lord today as long as you go in the way that Jesus made. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now, let me help you with that verse. Just can't not. Most people read that and they, the, the context is lost here. What he is saying is that the sin that he's concerned about for the Hebrews is the neglect of the sufficiency of Christ. He's saying to them who are tempted, these Hebrew believers, to go back to their old system, back to the temple worship, back to relying on sacrifices and these things. He says, if you have received the knowledge of the truth about Jesus, that he is God's way, he's the one that should ignite your service. If you've received that and you're ignoring that and you're trying to come some other way, there's no other way. There's no other sacrifice for those things that could bring you close. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire 
that will consume the enemies. If you and I decide not to be people that remember Jesus and let him fuel our service, if we decide to be people, we can come to God because we've been so good or we vote Democrat or we vote Republican or we read our Bibles enough or we've given away so much money or we serve our community. If we start thinking that those are the things bringing us near, it's burnout. It's a raging fire. That's all you can expect for those things. They won't make it through God's fire. Don't do it. You guys, we have a new and living way. Let's take it. So in a minute, the worship team is going to come up. And uh, when you get these little cups, please take them back to your seat. We'll take communion together to close our service. So I'll pray as these guys come up. Jesus, thank you for this. It's an easy, and as usual, most of these messages are easy to deliver. They sound so nice, at least to me, to say, I don't want my fire to go out. I want my, uh, my power, the movement of my life to be animated by what you did for me. Something that will insulate me from the opinions of people, whether they appreciate what we do, whether what I think about myself even, what I think about the circumstances of my life. Those things all pale in comparison to the greatness of what you've accomplished for, for me. And I really want to just sit with that and let the fire from that fuel what I offer to you. And so Jesus, for those of us today who need to remember, and I think it's all of us, or you wouldn't have said, do this in remembrance of me. Would you meet us? I pray for a searching of our hearts. Not a condemning way, Lord, but if you would say, Michael, this is some strange fire over here. You know, you, you, you haven't sat together. Your, your love for me has grown cold. I see your works, but like the Ephesian church has just gone cold. Would you, would you reignite that that for us, Lord? Would you send fire again into our heart to reignite that sacrifice you've made for us, Jesus? And I pray as we take the bread and remember that you absorb the full wrath of the Father for us, that we would feel relief and rest and joy and gratitude. And as we remember that every sin, the ones that haunt us, the ones that other people hold against us, the ones the enemy reminds us of, have been washed away, we would sit in that and be grateful. And Lord, as we leave then in gratitude that we would offer you an acceptable service. So meet us now, Jesus, as we remember you.